Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Fat Lot of Good podcast. It's me, Helen Thorne. Now, I'm really excited to tell you, everyone, that this podcast is sponsored by the fabulous F&F Clothing. I love this brand. F&F make clothing for women, which will make you feel gorgeous. And the best news is it won't even break the bank. I love these guys. This week, I'm wearing a fabulous cotton frock. Now, not only is it gorgeous, but I want to tell you that F&F are the first UK supermarket to sign up to the Better Cotton Initiative. The BCI exists to make global cotton production better for the people who produce it, better for the environment it grows in and better for the sector's future by developing better cotton as a sustainable mainstream commodity. How good is this? So go and grab some gorgeous cotton clothes from F&F Clothing today. Personally, I love their jeans and their jumpsuits. They're my favourite in the collection. And also, you can get them from sizes 6 to 22. So go on, go to your local Tesco Extra shop or shop online through next.co.uk and follow F&F Clothing on all your social medias. Now, let the podcast begin. Hello and welcome to the Fat Lot of Good Podcast. It's me, Helen Thorne. I'm a comedian, writer. I'm one half of the Scummy Mummies. I am extra excited. I am beside myself because today, people, we have... I finally got her in the room with me. It's Laura Thomas. Hello. Oh, my God. I feel like I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to sustain that. Sorry. I've peaked very early in the podcast. Oh, my God. I am in love with this one. I'm obsessed. Laura Thomas, PhD. She has been mentioned on this podcast a couple of times already already by our guests. We've had Clemmie Telford, who sung your praises very loudly, and of course the wonderful Sarah Powell, uh, and, and so many people I know online and in, and in real life praise you very highly. Uh, oh. She's written a book that's uh, called Just Eat It. Can you do the longer bit of the book? Because I forgot, how, how do you say it? Just Eat It. How intuitive you think can help you get your shit together around food. Excellent. And it has, you shouldn't throw this around too glibly about how a book changes your life. Well, fuck it. It has. It's changed my life. Thank you very much, Laura <laughs> Thomas. I know, I know. Gosh. And now we're going out. Uh, we're dating now. Uh, but so, so in an, in a nutshell, Laura Thomas is a nutritionist mm-hmm. and you have written this fabulous book called Just Eat It, which was released this year. And also you were the woman behind the London intuitive eating. London Centre for Intuitive Being. That's the name of my clinic. Yes. Excellent. All right. Well, let's let's just get into it. Let's because do it. I think the first question that everybody wants to fucking ask you every day of your <laughs> life until you die, what the hell is intuitive eating, Laura? Oh, my God. What is it? Um, and, you know, it's been like six months since the book came out and I still haven't 
quite got this like down as concisely as I, I should we've do. Got, we've got a few minutes. Bear you can, with you me. Can, you, can, you can chat. Uh, but yeah, just it's it's a framework that was actually developed in the 1990s by two dietitians, Evelyn Tribley and Elise Resch, if I could get her name out, <laughs> who I've had the great privilege of training with. And um, they, they created this framework because they kept seeing the same pattern in their clients that they were going round and round and round that dieting, merry-go-round. They were going round that cycle. And Elise and, and Evelyn were kind of giving them these meticulous meal plans and being like, you know, just follow that down to the letter. And even when the, the clients were following it down to the letter, it, it wasn't working. Their relationship with food was kind of um, just kind of in tatters, really. And and so it's something that I wanted to introduce into my own practice because I, I was seeing similar things in my clients. They Their relationship with food, they were really struggling with that. Um, they were feeling a lot of guilt or shame or anxiety about the foods that they were eating or they were just struggling around food. There was a lot of bargaining and negotiating and, and back and forth in their head about good foods and bad foods and all of this noise. And so intuitive eating is a framework to help you just dial down that noise, essentially. It's a set of 10 principles that help you get rid of all of that noise and then essentially teach you how to learn to eat again from the ground up. That's Mm. how I like to explain it to my clients anyway. It's one of those books I just want to go... Yes, yes, in every on every page. Because what I like to when the book starts is you sort of you sort of unpick the bullshit of the dieting culture. Mm. Because I think I think everybody who's listened to this podcast, good chance that you have been on at least one diet where you have to, yeah, you either have to restrict something or you you weighing how many nuts you're going to eat or what time you should eat and all those sort of things, which is kind of the complete opposite to what intuitive eating is about reading your body signs and things like yeah. that and um, you know I think one of the strongest messages from the books is that diets are set up to fail you mm-hmm. and that you know and, and I, you start with such hope and you, you, you illustrate this so beautifully in the book that cycle of like you know you go into it all guns blazing like in the first week you're like yes this is going to change my life this is the new me I'm going to love me because I'm going to lose you know however much weight to make this supposedly perfect body and then you fail and then you hate yourself and then you binge eat and then it just all kind of – and then you do this again until you die basically. <laughs> you just go around and around. And, it, and I, I, I've known that because I've gone like, oh, the 5-2 diet's going to be for me or I'm going to do Atkins or I'm going to do oh, mm. all sorts of things and all of that which have left me not feeling great at all. And I think the thing that gets quite tricky is that even if we're not on a formal diet like the 5-2, like Atkins, like whatever else it is – we still collated all of these rules and restrictions and kind of bargaining and negotiating that goes on in our head, like I kind of mentioned before, um, that has come from diet culture. So whether we've absorbed that from our family or from Women's Health magazine or just something we've picked up on social media, it all kind of gets lodged deeper and deeper into our psyche. And it's so hard to unpick it, especially when culture keeps reinforcing that stuff back at you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, yeah, you pick up any magazine and yeah, even if it's today, but yeah, you, that, those sort of, what are the words? Those rules are lodged in your head. I know when Clemmie Telford was on the podcast, she's like, oh, I didn't eat pasta during the week or pasta was only for the weekends. And she created her own rules. And even I remember reading that fantastic article Dolly Alderton wrote about you. She had written like, well, I, I knew I was going to have a big lunch uh, the next day, so I didn't eat like this. And you, you, you play off all this sort of 
you play it all off in your head and weigh it all, literally weighing it up the food. It's like a maths puzzle in your yeah. head constantly mm. that is unsolvable. How would you describe, I guess, the bullshit of, of, of diet culture? Because I think it's still continuing today. Mm. Every day a new mm-hmm. diet plan is launched every, mm-hmm. every time. Mm-hmm. So why, why is it important that we ignore that shit? Because it, it promises so much. I think that's what the thing is, mm-hmm. that you get like the before and after shots. You get all these sort of triggers that are going – but if I just do this for six weeks, I'm going to look like a Kardashian. Or if I just, you know, only eat grapefruit for mm-hmm. breakfast or whatever, I'll look like Kate Moss. Mm-hmm. So how do we start to, um, I guess, what are, what are ways of protecting ourselves against that those false promises? So I think, first of all, just having an awareness that we live in diet culture is yeah. – it's so many people um, – are just not aware that this that, that this is what's being fed back to them constantly. Yeah. And and so unless you see it, you can't actively push back and fight against it. So I think like that's half of the battle. Mm. And letting yourself kind of get angry about that. Get angry that we've we've always been told to equate our worth with thinness. We've been taught to equate health with thinness. We've been sold all this bullshit, all of these lies for so long. And and I don't know, that makes me angry. I don't know about you, but that yeah. really pisses me off. And I think it's okay to um, almost go through the grieving process when it comes to letting go of diet culture because so much of us, our identities are really caught up in that. And mm. so it can be really difficult to to let go and sort of ask that difficult question of like, okay, well, if I'm not the healthy one or, you know, the, the good fatty, always trying to be on a diet, always trying to lose weight, then who am I? Mm. Um, and that's a really tough question to answer. But I think for me and, and for a lot of clients that I work with, the that sort of missing piece of the puzzle of getting over diet culture is learning about um, the sort of feminist aspect of um, diet culture. And uh, Naomi Wolf said in um, The Beauty Myth that dieting is the most potent political sedative that we have. And so it's stopping us. Like we're literally so hungry that we can't think about, we don't have the capacity for anything outside of ourselves, if you think about it. We like, can't smash the glass ceiling if we're tired and hungry. Well, exactly. How and about- we're constantly body checking. We're constantly preoccupied with food. I remember like being on a diet and, and sort of like scrolling for hours through Pinterest, just looking at pictures of food. Like that's not healthy. <laughs> And we've all been there. We have. We've all been there. I know. And especially when you do things like the 5-2 or anything which is like calorifically restricted, like – you, you spend like four times as much time in the supermarket. You're like, I can't eat this sandwich because it's 500 calories and I can't do this. And and you just you go mental. Mm-hmm. You literally yeah. lose your mind to food yeah. when it should be, a, a, a joy and B, you know, just part of daily life. Well, it's essential. <laughs> you don't think you don't you don't time when you take a shit. You know, you go like, well, I'm only going to do one shit today. You don't know how many times <laughs> you're going to do a shit or when it's going to come. You, you, you're in tune with when you need to go to the toilet, when yeah. food is coming out. When you out. need to sleep, when you need to sneeze, when you need to cough, like when you need to pee, like all of these other bodily functions, we just get on with it. Yeah. But when it comes to something so base as feeding ourselves, we mm. just overcomplicate it, second guess ourselves, overthink it. And that keeps us distracted from 
bigger picture issues that are are going on all around us. That's right. We've got we've got jobs to do, we've women. Got stuff to do. Right. So one of the big hurdles I have with food is emotional eating, and that's one of the things that you talk about so brilliantly uh, in your book and 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 through your um, podcast is that you have those moments where you go, "Fuck it, I just want to eat." a tub of ice cream or fuck it, I want to drink a lot of cocktails or I just, or yeah, or you go to the supermarket and you're like, fuck it, I'm going to eat a bag of Haribo and that will make me feel better. So, so what a, I mean, we all do it. We've all got those crutches or, or when you're having a bit of a low day, you're like, I just want to eat a big bowl of macaroni cheese. What, what is, what is your advice to people? Because I think that, that's the, that's that cycle where you go, I just need this to make me feel better. And then you beat yourself up because you've eaten kilos kilos of crap basically so what what would you what would you say to the listeners out there about emotional eating oh there's oh god there's so much to say on this (laughs) and it's so layered so stick with me because I could honestly and I have done just talk about this all day long Mm. um but the the first thing that I would just I guess put out there is comfort eating emotional eating stress eating whatever you want to call it is totally normal. Okay. It's totally fine. We're okay, people. <laughs> Let's all give ourselves a hug. It's all right. right. <laughs> and the way that I the way that I look at um, emotionally and comfort eating is it's it's a signal mm-hmm. that our bodies are telling us are trying to communicate something with us. Something is out of whack. Something is off kilter. Maybe you're just on your freaking period and you need a bowl of mac and cheese. Yeah. And that is okay. The problem, I think, is when – well, two sort of different problems. I think the problem is potentially when we beat ourselves up and give ourselves shit for that. Yeah. For something that's just normal and, you know, helpful. <laughs> We're normal it's, listeners. It's We're helpful, okay. right? Yeah, it's yeah. serving a function. Emotional mm. eating is serving a function. So can we take a step back and look at that as a clue that something else is going on for us, mm. right? And maybe there is nothing else going on for us, and it's just that we want some mac and cheese, and that's perfectly fine as well. Yeah. The the second thing that I kind of think about when I'm working with clients on this is, is you know, emotional eating in and of itself isn't inherently a problem. Yeah. It's like I said, we're doing something to look after ourselves. We're trying to take care of ourselves. We're trying to self soothe. The problem only becomes if that's our only way of looking after ourselves. Right, yeah. If we don't have anything else in that sort of emotional coping toolkit, Mm -hmm. if we don't have other, whether it's self-care practices or just downtime, getting enough rest, um, therapy, meditation, yoga, whatever your thing is, maybe it's just walking your dog, maybe it's getting on the phone to your mom, maybe it's, you know, going for a walk with your friend, whatever it is, making sure that we can fill up that toolkit. Because if... If emotional eating is the only thing that's in there and and we reach in and pull it out and say, no, that's bad. You have to stop doing that. Yeah. What are we left with? Mm. Nothing. Yeah. And that's not helpful either. Yeah. But I think if we can even just take a step back from the concept of emotional eating, which we've established is not bad and is good. (laughs) If that's how you're looking after yourself, cool. Yeah. Um, Because what I often see in my practice is that People misidentify hunger for emotional eating. Yeah. So what I see a lot of is people just eating like tiny birds throughout the day. And then come 7 o'clock when they come home, they like face plant into the fridge and they call it emotional eating. That's not emotional eating. 
That is, you have not eaten enough food throughout the day to sustain and nourish your body. You're hungry. Yeah. That is hunger. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's easy for us to laugh about it, but we're so out of touch with what's going on in our bodies. We're just like, and this is another problem with diet culture is it, it encourages us to, to overthink and overcomplicate food and get stuck in our heads about it rather than tuning into what's going on in our bodies. Yeah. And what I notice is if we can get some, you know, substantial meals going and some snacks throughout the day, that that emotional eating or that perceived emotional eating takes care of itself. Yeah. I know I've, not, I've noticed even in the last couple of weeks since reading your book, because um, I used to go, oh, no, I'll just wait until this time to have lunch or, you know, I'll do this. But then I just got so hungry. I would eat an entire packet of, um, what's it called, crisp bread and a whole tub of hummus mm. because it's just going, uh, you know. And now I just go, no, I'm just going to have a snack that I like. And then I'll keep going and or I'm or I ate too much, uh, you know, for dinner that night and I won't have breakfast, but I'll eat at 11 and that'll be fine. But I used to have all these different kind of rules. But now I just go, I'm just going to have a little bit when I'm hungry. So I don't get to that point where I will just literally eat an entire tray of lasagna. Where you don't want to inhale your food. Yeah. And do it really quickly. Mm. And also, yeah, just things like and not eating at the fridge. (laughs) So just having a I mean, no shame. I no, do, that. Uh, do you know why? I, I, yeah, and I have mentioned this before. I do like I do like a Yarlsberg or an Emmental slice, and I have known to eat five slices in a row just because I'm like I'm hungry. I want another one of those. Hit me again. Hit me again. And then I've nearly pa- finished a whole packet of cheese slices. I mean, in one go. Sounds like a decent snack to me. It is good. Oh yes, can we talk about snacks actually? Yeah. That's, because I think that's. That's one of the this, one of those things that we we really punish ourselves about, mm. like oh no snacking, mm-hmm. and then you're just so so bloody hungry that you'll eat you know four sandwiches at lunchtime. What what are some really good snacks that will keep you going? Actually, sustains you. Well, I think I think everyone's different in terms of what they like and enjoy and what mm-hmm. satisfies them and what fills them up and what they're looking forward to eating. And those are all important considerations. I, I hate to be the nutritionist who's like, you should eat oat cakes and hummus or you should do this or yeah. you should do that. I, I tend to think about, okay, let's maybe try and um, experiment a little bit with snacks, figure out what works for us, what feels good in our body. I often try and say get two out of three of protein, fat, and carbohydrate just so it's a bit balanced. Mm-hmm. And Because oftentimes I'll see people eat like fruit as a snack. That's not a snack. That's part of a snack. Yeah. But if you were to add some peanut butter on there or, I don't know, have some cheese and crackers with it, that's a snack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but the point that I'm trying to make is, is just to try and get a bit of some sort of semblance of balance in there um, so that it does actually tide you over. It does fill you up. An apple's not going to do that, at yeah. least not for very long. I'm not. That's no shade to apples. I mean, we're, we're very pro apples here on the podcast. <laughs> but an apple Pink is lady, something you have, like, if you're going to be eating in, like, half an hour, not in three hours. Yeah. You know? Or you have it with something else. Yeah. I'm, I'm I have all... a lot of thoughts about yeah. <laughs> snacks, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of, like, things that you would fill your cupboard with, like, what would be in your – I mean, I know everybody's different, but mm. good sort of staples that, like – so you're not always grabbing a Mars bar or whatever. What would you fill your cupboard with in terms of, like, you know, a big pot of nut butter, a big da-da-da-da? Like, are there, are there things I mean, that... I have chocolate bars in my house. I'm just, I mean, I'm just I've, got a, I've got a frozen Mars bar in my freezer right now, and let's let's pause to think about that for a minute. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, in addition to all the chocolate, yeah, we have, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I guess, um, 
In terms of staples, I think having like store covered things like granola bars and like nut fruit and nut bars, packets of like savory, like I'm big on savory snacks. Yeah. I really like um, love corn. Have you come across them? Shut up. Tell me about so it. So good. So it's like, um, they're like crunchy corn, but not that like crunchy corn that breaks your teeth, like yeah. crunchy corn, like Popped corn, yeah, kind like, of, like yeah, rice crispy. but not popcorn because okay. popcorn's bullshit in okay. my opinion. Oh, I told you I have strong opinions about snacks. Um, no popcorn, but, guys. But um, there, well, yeah, there's nothing wrong with popcorn, but just like again, that skinny popcorn does my nothing. Okay. Um, so yeah, like love corn. Um, they have this barbecue flavor that's really oh. good. Really good. Um, so I'm just thinking because we have like we have a ton of snacks in our office and we we just got a delivery of a bunch of naked bars today. <gasps> they're the, really good. They're really good. But again, quite small. Mm. I would need something else with yeah. a naked bar. Yes. Um, let's see. We also get those like oat biscuits. Those are pretty good. So those are all like your store cupboard. And then I think yogurt, cheese, crackers, biscuits, like just Excellent. Use your imagination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need me to tell you what to eat. No, you don't. This is this is the wonderful you thing. You know, you know yourself what feels good and what's going to fill you up, what's going to satisfy you, what's going to give you energy, what's going to give you that sense of well-being. Mm. And that like that is the crux of intuitive eating. It's not me being like the food police and being like Oh, Helen, show me what's in your cupboards. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. me going through it, like, you know, laying it all out on oh, the Julie table. Julie McKeith style. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. what I was thinking. I know. That was scary. That's like think, old school nutrition. We're, we're past that. Yeah. And also that, that was filled with so much shame as well. Like, right. you know, you, you felt shame about what you, what you looked like, shame about what you ate, when you waited, who you ate it with, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So I think that, that's such a big thing to sort of, unpick yeah. as well and also you, you make rules you make rules for yourself like oh I've always been fat or I'm, I've always I always make bad choices so as soon as you go to like going out for the restaurant so to speak you go mm. oh but I always have a burger or I always do this so are they some of the issues or, or problems people come to you with is that you're just always making you, you feel like you're making bad choices so you see it's so interesting how we're looking at this differently. Um, and and you're kind of – you're asking me if people come to me because they see this particular behavior as a problem, yeah. right? Like, oh, I have a burger. I get a takeaway. I get this. I get that. I actually don't see that as the issue here. Yeah. What I see as the issue is the self-judgment, is the self-criticism, is mm. the blaming and the shaming and the kind of internalizing all of these messages that we've absorbed from diet culture about like the the negative stereotypes attributed to people at a higher body weight to fat yeah. people um to you know the the sort of virtue signaling of thinness and and you think that thin people don't eat takeaways and pizza and all that kind of stuff of course no, they do no they're just eating carrot sticks and and having low <laughs> and fat apples, fucking apples and skinny popcorn <laughs> they're not <laughs> <laughs> we found a trigger warning, people. Apples and popcorn. <laughs> but that's but these are the messages and the judgments that we internalize, mm. and um and and we kind of then just like fire the, those off at ourselves constantly, and that to me is more harmful than if you were taking you were eating a takeaway. Mm. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. One of the phrases that I find so it's a mixed, it's sort of like a mixed compliment when someone says, you look so great, have you lost weight? And it, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it's just one of those things. It's like you can only be valued or praised if you've shrunk yourself a bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that, it was really funny, a couple of years ago when I went back to Australia, because every time I go home I feel like I have to have achieved something when I see my friends because I want to feel like I've come back I'm like yes I've done something amazing on the other side of the world kind of thing I thought I've got to lose weight and I have to do better at comedy because you know they're the things I have to be good at successful in my career and smaller and that would be the first thing people said oh my god you look so good have you lost weight and I was like yes yes I'm a good person because I've 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 lost weight and it's it's a weird thing and you kind of not you get high from it but you go oh yes I am a success because I'm smaller. Um, and that's, yeah, and that's taken me years to kind of unpick. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, they'll mm-hmm. still like me if I'm a size 18. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be okay. And yeah. I think, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what, I just, I just felt so much better after reading your book. I know I've said it like seven times already on this, <laughs> this podcast, but it just, it finally made sense because it wasn't a finite thing. Like in terms of, it wasn't like, just do this for 12 weeks or do this for six weeks or whatever. And then, mm-hmm. You will you you'll be smaller and you know yeah. happily ever after kind of thing. But this felt like this is yeah. forever now. This intuitive eating, I, and I think that's such an important point that you're making because oftentimes people will approach intuitive eating with that kind of mindset of like, okay, this is the thing. It's going to sort me out. And they treat it almost like another diet. And then they join all the Facebook groups and get re- listen to all the podcasts. And you should still listen to my podcast. But It is excellent. Uh, <laughs> can, we, can we say the name of your podcast again? It's called Don't Salt My Game. It's excellent. Thank it's you. On, on her, on her um, website. Anyway, go. But, they, but, but, you know, they get, they buy all the books and, and kind of almost approach it the way that they would with a, another diet mm. and and so oftentimes I'm saying to my clients like slow your fucking roll like calm down here yeah let's just take it really um gently and easily because th- th- you know 
My hope for you by the time that you've gone through this process, by the time we finish working together, is that you're not thinking about food. You're not thinking about nutrition all that much. You know, you're thinking about it an appropriate amount, mm. but it's not taking over your whole life. Yeah. Um, and, and so intuitive eating just kind of very gradually and seamlessly just becomes part of your life. It's and, and not a major part of your life. It doesn't define you. Yes. It's just kind of how you eat it's how how we were born you know knowing how to eat and 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 being really in touch with our body signals mm. that's kind of where i want you to be yeah because and, and you as you sort of um so beautifully illustrate in the book it's like when we you feed babies when they're full they just shake their head yeah. and they, or they, <laughs> they throw their food on the floor give it to the dog yeah, yeah yeah they they know when they're full or they know when they're hungry and like and i see that with my own children like some days you think fucking hell how many snacks or how much are you going to eat and then other days they live <laughs> off air you're like please <laughs> have have some yogurt have something um but they're they're much more in tune and i have yeah. those now i'm trying to now um to to read my hunger much better because mm. it used to i used to sort of feel like being being hungry was almost like a reward or you like you're winning because like oh yeah. I'm hungry that means you know yeah. I'm potentially yeah. losing weight or I'm I'm, I'm yeah. beating my body kind of thing I had a client once tell me this is so sad a client once tell me that um, going to bed hungry at night gave her a sense of accomplishment oh god when we look at it just in isolation like that that feels really extreme but there are probably a lot of us who have thought yeah, quite similarly, and and that's really damaging, I think. And I've won the prize. Yeah, and so so in terms of like the arc that you have with your clients, mm. obviously people come to you with a host of different. Um, well, I don't want to say issues, but reasons that mm-hmm. they come to mm-hmm. sort of see. I guess it's they've already made that first step, haven't they, mm. in recognizing. Uh, that there's a problem that they need to solve or, or they want to get better at feeding themselves. That sounds so, <laughs> it sounds so weird when you say it like that. <laughs> How do I eat food? How do I eat? But it is, it is almost down to that, though. Yeah. It's like because oh, we're just sort of layered with all this, all this sort of um, uh, this uh, bullshit. Uh, but also I also want to talk about um, the body positive movement because this is another this is didn't exist I think you know so overtly when we were growing mm. up we saw images of skinny girls in the movies and and in magazines but mm. now because of Instagram we're seeing much more of a variety of bodies mm-hmm. but I like the way you talk, the way you talked about body positivity uh, not in not in glowing terms but also that we can't love our bodies all the time and what we should or we can aim for is body neutrality Mm. do you want to speak a bit more about that yeah well I'd actually just like to speak quickly to the kind of history of body positivity because I think maybe I've messed up when I wrote wrote the book but people seem to think that I'm like against body positivity or, or, or something like that and I think the conversation is just a bit more nuanced in that you know body positivity started out as a social justice issue, right? So it was fat, queer, um, black and Jewish women in the 60s and 70s who were really, really radical fatties, like burning diet books in the middle of parks. And and like, you know, it was a political act. And it was really a movement that was created for the most marginalized bodies. And so we were kind of talking off mic about how I don't really want to talk much about my own body image because 
I'm a straight-sized, white, relatively young, blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman. So that this movement was just not created for me, and I don't want to take up space in it. Yeah. Um, what we've seen over, especially the past couple of years, it's it's really tricky because on one hand, we are, with body positivity, we are seeing companies being held more accountable for for showing body diversity, whatever that looks like in their advertising campaigns and the models that they're using. And I think that is a really great thing. I worry that it's maybe tokenistic, but we'll see how that plays out. Mm. The other thing that I've also seen is a kind of co-option of body positivity by diet culture. So perfect example of this is fucking Weight Watchers or WW, whatever they're calling themselves now, who are claiming that they're body positive. You can't be body positive and tell people that their bodies are wrong and you need to change your body and you need to shrink your body. Those two things, those ideas are antithetical to one another. So that's a big problem, this kind of co-option of of body, body positivity. And then I think the third thing is, and it's kind of related in that now on Instagram, we see a lot of transformation Tuesdays that are hashtag body positive. We see a lot of, you know, very, um, and this is not to, to shame anyone's bodies, but we see people who that movement was not created for kind of kind of coming in and being like, oh, I'm body positive. And, yeah. and it's just not that they don't have difficulties appreciating their body, but it's a lot easier because they're not living under multiple layers of marginalization. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, no, I know because I, I, I've seen Instagrammers um, not complain, but sort of saying, I don't feel I'm part, why can't I be in the body positive movement because I'm a size 10 and I feel like I'm being marginalised by body positivity. I'm like, oh, oh God, what, this, this, this has got too meta. This has got too, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is not what it, it's, a, and it, yeah, and it's a shame because I think, yeah, it, it, it came from such a strong, yeah. amazing place where yeah. people were yeah. trying to get back power and yeah. trying to make a, a very strong point about, especially in the, where it started in the US, where people were being refused healthcare and all sorts of things. Like exactly. this, is, this is life it's a political, and death. Yeah, it's like a, life and death, yeah. Yeah, political movement. You know, everyone does, of course, deserve to to access body positivity. But I think a lot of it is um, maybe quite performative when we mm. could actually just kind of use that for ourselves in our own sort of private space, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so uh, I think because of that, I had a lot of clients who were going on Instagram and being like, this body positive, positivity thing, just like that doesn't make sense for me. I've mm. had kids. My body's changed. I'm older. Um, I've had injuries. I've had, um, you know, surgeries, all kinds of things, mastectomies, you know, things that change your body and your relationship to it. And this idea of kind of like unicorns and rainbows body positivity is just a bit too far out of reach yeah. for those people. Mm. And and so I came across the concept of of body neutrality and I thought you know this makes a lot more sense yeah it's acknowledging that because we live in diet culture and because we've been taught to blame everything on our bodies whenever you know we're having a a bad day about something we take it out on our bodies Mm. what body neutrality is kind of inviting you to you know acknowledge that you are going to have bad body image days but what counts really is how you respond to to that in the moment. Can you treat your body with respect despite the fact that society is telling you there's something wrong with it? Can you still nourish it? Can you look after it, move it, 
or rest it in a way that that feels supportive um, and and helps you take care of yourself rather than going down the spiral of dieting and disordered eating. Mm. I've seen so many people on Instagram apologize going, oh, I can't I can't get to body positivity. I can't. And it's like, well, you don't have to. You don't no. have to love your body all the time. Yeah. And also you're allowed to say, I would like to lose some weight. But, you know, that and and that and that that's okay. You like or I'd like to move more or I'd like to get into exercise and all those sort of things. But there are so many barriers and uh, people all, and automatically think they're going to fail. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I that stopped me from doing exercise for many years like going um, I'm not very bendy. I'm really slow. I'm really fat. Like every time I went to yoga, I can't I can't sit on my heels. I don't know if there's any other listeners out there. I can't. Yeah, and and I feel like it can, like so when everyone was like sort of sat back on their heels in these sort of elegant poses, I just have my bum <laughs> up in the air, yeah. like some kind of oh I, I don't know I'm going to say something negative about my body, so I'll stop myself. But but all those sort of things like just weird things like my body doesn't do what everybody else's yeah. body, and I and I don't like that, and I and then I just want to apologize, and then I'll go go home. I'm like well, I'll just eat seven cheese toasties, and then I'll feel better because I'm very good at eating cheese toasties, but I can't bend. Um, so, so, but then, yeah, and now I've just gone, fuck it. I will, and, I will and go it's, to and yoga. And it's so interesting that w- what you've just said there is that, you know, it's just kind of typical of, of, of how we approach this in, in our society is that we blame ourselves for, for this. Yeah. When actually I'm, I was thinking, why is that yoga teacher not coming in and kind of helping you adjust your posture or giving you some support or yeah. or just saying it's okay if you can't touch your your heels it's okay if you're not quite there yet it, it's a practice we're going to work towards it yeah. and i think the the difficulty this is a whole other podcast now but <laughs> uh, you know yoga yoga teachers are trained on other yoga teachers mm. who have you know who are generally and things i think are maybe starting to shift now but are generally straight sized um, petite, young, and and very bendy and flexible because they yes. do yoga all the time, yes. which is fine. <laughs> but but what happens when yeah. someone who has other requirements <laughs> comes mm. into their class? I know one yoga teacher who works with um, amputees, for example, another teacher who works with refugees, and other te- yoga teachers who work with bigger bodies. But that's almost like an extra layer of specialist training that people have to get. It's not the kind of, it's not baked into their yoga teacher training. Yeah, no, and this this is a bit like, you know, the the clothing brands that only go up to size 16. Ugh. We're like, Argh! but yeah, so the, the fashion designers and, you know, like the sample sizes are always 8 or 10 or the models are always 8 yeah. or 10. I mean, obviously that's changing. But then, yeah, you then you have to have the plus size range, or you have mm. to have like the f- separate fat, sh- fat section. When these bodies, there's just as many size tens as there is size eighteen, mm-hmm. or etc. Yeah, that that we're so marginalised. As soon as you're above a size sixteen, for yeah. everything, it's a, it's a real it's a real problem. Yeah, um, and and I can't say this from personal experience, but but f- through working with clients in bigger bodies and trying to help them navigate that, and just kind of having, I guess, some sense of, of the challenges that they face. And I think when you are straight-sized, that's just not something that you have to think about or consider. And that's where the privilege lies, right? Is mm. that you don't have to think about that. You don't no. have to think about going to a specialist shop or only having a tiny corner in, in one side of the shop to shop from or, yeah. Um, or um, yeah, having to order things online. And, yeah, it's, yeah. And that's only one aspect of your life, right? That's only... 
close. Yeah. <laughs> what about all of the other ways yeah. in which weight stigma plays out in education, in employment, in medical care? It's vast. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and uh, I would recommend uh, Sophie Hagen's amazing book, yes. Happy Fat, oh. um, which she speaks so uh, beautifully about that. Just, yeah, and being a good friend, being a good yeah. fat friend as well. About yeah, she was saying about when she went to the um, theatre and she couldn't sit, she couldn't fit in the seat, and she said her friend was much more worried about it and her friend was much more embarrassed about it than yeah, she was. And she's like, no, it's too. fine. It was fine, you know. And th- she said the main thing for her is that don't, as a friend, you don't need to overreact. It's okay. Yeah. And then, yeah, everyone everyone was feeling uncomfortable. It's like, no, it's all right. It's okay. Where can people find you and what tools have you have you given given this planet? <laughs> Obviously, the book is excellent. But, but more than that, you've got some online courses. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I think probably... Um, the first place to start would be my podcast, which we mentioned, Don't Salt My Game. It's free. So it's that's free. Good. And yeah. my Instagram is also free. And I put a lot of stuff on there. So <laughs> abnormally generous you were. Um, then, yeah, my book, Just Eat It, How Intuitive Eating Can Help You Get Your Shit Together Around Food. And then, yeah, we have online courses for individuals who want to kind of deepen their intuitive eating practice. We also have ones for parents who are like... I'm I'm worried that I might have been maybe been putting some of my stuff around food onto my kids. How yeah. can I help raise them in a way that they stay in touch with their hunger and their fullness signals? So we have a course around that. And then we also do one-on-one sessions and that's kind of our thing. So I have a team of clinicians and um, yeah, we help people work through food and body image stuff. Um, we can also work with people who are trying to um, navigate a health concern through a lens of intuitive eating. So yeah, that's what we do at the London Centre for Intuitive Eating. Excellent, excellent. Right. I think I think we've solved everything now. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you, Laura. Now we're going to finish the podcast with a bit of a quick fire round. Are you ready? Okay. I I don't know why I felt I feel so scared, but I do this to all of my guests and now I know what they feel like. Ooh, okay. I, know, let's I, do was, it. I was listening to your podcast last <laughs> night. We were like and and, and you're and they're like, Oh, oh gosh, I think it's the way we say it. I think you and I probably are very similar, like, right, we're gonna do the quick fire round now. Go and like, ah, 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 Oh god. Panic. Oh right, all right good. Hit me. All right. Yes, it's your turn now. Sit in the seat. Listen. All right, what makes you feel sexy, Laura? Ooh, my husband. Very good. Ooh. I want to meet him. Uh, what's your name? No, he's my husband. All right. <laughs> Just kidding. Shout out to Dave. <laughs> Save your job. Uh, what's your favorite? What's your most favorite thing to put in your body? Oh, I mean, it can be the same answer I was as number. Can it also be my husband? <laughs> yes, it can. All right. Okay. Next question. What's I your most one from the Association for Nutrition is this name? In all the if holes. I lose my registration. <laughs> Not an apple. Um, okay, what's your most embarrassing body moment? I puked up into a pint glass on a club. <laughs> that is awesome. I was like, I was like eighteen. Yes. So that's. Let's, let's I'm definitely, a definitely losing my registry. You are not. Everyone's throwing up in some kind of receptacle. Sometimes it's a bucket. Some, it's better than a handbag in a taxi. That's that's pretty. I've probably done that. Yeah, I've I've once like folded the jumper up. You know how you sort of folded up and then made a little, a little sort of hammock. hammock, jumper hammock <laughs> for the sick. 
And then I knocked on the front door covered in, in pizza spew. And my husband hammock. was like, oh, my God. And he just said, stay there. And I was like, what? And he said, I'm just going to take a photo. Ah, uh, so that was oh, nice. I thought he was going to get a hose to just, like, spray you down. <laughs> but he was laughing. And he's like, just stay there while I take a photo. Anyway, um, Okay. Fat facts. Now it was going to be a hard one because you're as a nutritionist with a PhD. I was like, oh, you you know all all facts about the body. But did you know that the mouth produces one liter of saliva every day? I did not. You did know that. Yeah, that's a weird thing that I had to learn for an exam recently. I just did a a post grad diploma in eating disorders and clinical nutrition, and you need to. It's, I'm not going to bore you with the details of why I need to know that. You just but keep I, studying. You've already got a PhD and now you're getting a, an extra master's just on the side. A, a diploma, but yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, cool. All right, she knows that, everyone. What an interesting <laughs> fat fact. The Hall of Fat Fame. Ooh. So we have on the podcast the Hall of Fat Fame yeah. in which we like to put up on a pedestal a person, a woman, a man, who has inspired us and our relationship with our body. Have you got someone who does that? Previous people have been uh, Bryony Gordon, mm-hmm. Sophie Hagen, yeah. uh, Dawn French. Is there anyone who comes to mind? Yeah, I am thinking of – can I have two? You may. That, okay. So on the fat yoga front, Jasmine Stanley. Yes, amen. Incredible. And the second is Charlotte Cooper, who is a fat activist, and she wrote a book called Fat Activism, and she's just a sensation. That- Producer Emma, can we put those two people in the show notes so people can find yeah. these I did wizards a- of the human race? I've done a podcast with Charlotte, and she's, she, she started the Fat Olympics. I mean, why don't I know about her? I feel I'm going. Okay, we're stopping. We're stopping the podcast now. I'm going to find her and hug her. Google Charlotte Cooper. Charlotte Cooper, look out! Um, And finally, Fatspiration. What is your mantra, or the words that you live by, Laura? Like, if if your life was a meme, or what do you like to say? Is Is there are there certain words or things you like to say to your clients? The things that I always say to my clients over and over again are be curious, be kind to yourself, fuck diet culture, probably. Yeah, let's, let's, I think that's the title of – can we have that as the title of the podcast, producer Emma? Well, what can I say, Laura? Thank you. Thank you for being you and thank you for being a champion uh, for for people everywhere who have struggled <laughs> with food and now, after reading your book, have been transformed. <laughs> I'm just talking about me again. <laughs> um, I love your book very much. Uh, please buy oh. it. It's excellent. And um, yeah, and good luck. And what, what, um, what's next for you? What's, you've written an amazing book. You've done an excellent podcast. Mm. What's, what's next? Well, I'm working on a new season of the podcast and I'm actually just trying to slow the fuck down because <laughs> I've been doing way too much. Mm. Um, so yeah, we've got some like in-person workshops that we're doing, some CPD training we're doing for other healthcare professionals. Um, and yeah, just some, we're doing a workshop around emotional eating, one for raising intuitive ears. That's kind of, we're working on that, that sort of thing. You're busy. 
Yeah. But doing good shit. Keep myself busy. Do it. All right. <laughs> I think that's the end. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you, Helen. Oh, love you. All right. You've been listening to the Fat Lot of Good podcast hosted by me, Helen Thorne. You can follow me on Instagram at Helen Wears a Size 18 and, of course, at Scummy Mummies. Um, and I just wanted to say um, I'm going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year, all of August. So come up and see me there. Uh, and also a big shout out to our amazing sponsors, FNF Clothing, who I love. I love, I love, I love. Uh, and they have clothes from size 6 to size 22 and you can get them at next.co.uk and at FNF Clothing and a shout out to lovely producer Emma Corsham and the music was provided by John Thorne and jingles by Simon Toner I think that's the end everyone thank you so much for listening Uh, do rate, review and subscribe that's the end, goodbye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.